The reason we would dedicate a building is we want to ask God to do things here that only God can do. Because if, if that doesn't happen, all this is, is a really nice remodel. Right? That's all it is. And nobody who put one ounce of effort into this wants that to be all this is. You didn't give your money. You didn't volunteer your time. You didn't serve the Lord down here so this could be a nice remodel so that it could up the beauty of downtown Prineville. Right? You did that. You did this because you want the Lord to touch people in a real way. I want to read you 11 verses. If you have your Bible, you can read with me. If not, I'll read it to you. First Kings chapter 8. These verses come from a building dedication. Solomon has just completed construction of the temple, and he's dedicating it to the Lord. And he has a very long prayer. It's, it's the better part of an entire chapter, and we're not going to read it all. But I want to read 11 verses, and I want to just briefly point out some things that we want to ask God to do in this building. So let's read. We're going to read verses 33 through verses 43. <clears throat> Excuse me. Solomon here, and we're kind of picking up in the middle so I don't have to read to you for a half an hour. Um, Solomon says in verse 33, he's praying to the Lord, dedicating the building. And he says, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, Whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. So we see Solomon here, and he's actually been doing it for a while and will continue, is asking God to incline his ear toward this temple and toward the people that are going to come to this temple and to cry out to the Lord. Um, one of the, one of the very interesting things he says here is that, that it would be a place of teaching, right? Draw them here, answer their prayer, and teach them the right way. And, and if, you know, you know anything at all about 
Calvary Chapel, um, it's certainly what we want to do. We want people to be taught. We want them to be taught um, how much the Lord loves them and what he wants to do in their life. And like we talked about this morning, right? Uh, a, a good, healthy church is not a church where people are always being told um, what they should be doing. A good, healthy church is a church in which people are always being told who God is and how much he loves them. Because that causes people to love the Lord. causes people to want to be like him, to want to emulate him, to want to follow him. Right? And there's that aspect of it. There's the aspect of it where he says, you, God, know people's hearts. And we certainly want this to be a place where people come here and their hearts are known by God. Or where, especially those of us that would come to the dedication service, this is your church. We want to always remember that God knows our hearts. You know, and I think maybe this is a good thing for those of us that are in ministry and we're doing things. We just have to be careful that we're not doing things for the wrong reasons. That, you know, we don't get kind of burned out. What does scripture say? Don't be weary in doing good. You know, don't be weary. Serve the Lord with gladness. Know that he sees your heart. When your heart starts getting wrong, you got to deal with it. Because the Lord sees it and he knows it. I, I want to look at... I didn't even count these. Five things um, that we want to happen here. The first one, verse 33, Solomon says, when your people are defeated, he says, and they come here and pray, then hear and act. And and one of the things that's really on my heart, I want this place to be a place where people come when they're defeated and they cry out to God. You know, do you know there aren't a lot of places like that in society? You know, the way you have to deal with defeat in society is either admit it and then find a whole new group of friends or pretend it never happened and it doesn't bother you. That's how you deal with defeat in the world. Because if you're always telling everybody about how defeated you are, nobody wants to be around you. Did you ever notice Eeyore doesn't really have friends? Did you notice that? The only one that likes him is Piglet and he's not big enough to have a brain yet. Right? Nobody else, Winnie the Pooh's never hanging out at Eeyore's house. Christopher Robin is never going over to Eeyore's. Because he's always defeated. Who wants to hang out with this kid? Remember Pigpen? He didn't have any friends either. This cloud just followed him everywhere he went. And in society, that's the way it is, man. If you're defeated, you don't talk about it. And if you, okay, I'm defeated, well, I got to scrap everything and start over. You know, and, and sometimes it can be like that even in churches. Well, I'm defeated. It didn't work out. So I better, I better get out of here and I better find a new church where nobody knows how defeated I am and, and I'll start over. We want this to be a place where people can be defeated and come here and cry out to the Lord, where God can hear them and touch them and restore them, where people are, feel safe enough to bring their defeats to the Lord in this public gathering. That's what we want this place to be. Not a place where people have to hide it. Not a place where people have to get rid of it. Not a place where people have to pretend it didn't happen. And also, not a place where people revel in it. We're not supposed to revel in our defeats. We're supposed to cry out to the Lord about it. Right? But we want this to be a safe place where people can cry out to the Lord when they're defeated. And he can hear and touch and restore. Verse 35 says... When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain, this is key to me, because they have sinned against you. There is suffering and there is suffering because of sin. It's called reaping, 
right? The Bible's pretty clear about this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. Sin has consequences. It's forgiven. It's nailed to the cross. The Lord takes it away, but it has consequences. And there inevitably will be some of you and unknown people that will come to this church that will be suffering and it will be because of their own sin. And we want this to be a place where people can realize that my suffering is self-inflicted. It is my own sin. I have screwed up my life. And this would be a place where people would cry out to the Lord, where they would be encouraged to cry out to the Lord, where Jesus would be held up as the answer, not one answer, not a viable option, not a good thing to do, but the answer for your suffering, the answer for your sin. And I don't mean this necessarily to non-believers. We've got to stop with this thinking that sin is what non-believers do because you and I, when we sin, we suffer consequences. We reap the same as other people. It's just we're not going to go to hell for it because Jesus has taken that away, that eternal consequence. But there have been times in my life as a Christian when I have suffered and it has absolutely been a result of my own sin. The prescription for that is to cry out to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord, forgive me, give me the power to repent. Lord, give me godly sorrow because the Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance. Lord, show me your kindness because your word says that your kindness will lead me to repentance. Crying out to the Lord is the prescription for suffering with sin. And we want this to be a place where people are allowed to cry out to the Lord about their sin. Christians are some of the mo- can be some of the most judgmental and brutal people on the face of the planet. If any of you have been Christians five or ten years, you know how brutal your brothers and sisters can be. How judgmental, how harsh, how offensive they can be. How unkind, unchristlike, and unloving believers of the Lord can be to one another when people are suffering because of their sin. We are classic for, for crying out to the Lord to forgive us a debt we could never repay and turning around and choking somebody for a small matter. It's like a part of our DNA as believers. We want this to be a place where people are pointed to Jesus, when they're not pointed at not laughed at, not made fun of, not not pointed out, but pointed to Jesus. We're in this place, maybe in the proclamation of the word, maybe as worship goes out, maybe in conversations where people would be aware that their suffering is self-induced and they would cry out to the Lord about it. Next thing, we see it in verse 37. Verse 37 says, when there is famine in the land, pestilence, blight, mildew, locusts, grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is. Basically here we have a hodgepodge of difficult circumstances. It is not related, it's not related in this verse to their sin. It's not related to an enemy. It is just difficulty that people go through. 
One of the biggest disservices that Christianity has done over the last 40 years, I believe, is to tell people, generally speaking, come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. Listen, that is not the message in the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is come to Jesus and he'll give you hope. He'll give you peace. He'll give you eternal life. He'll give you joy unspeakable. But there is no guarantee that Jesus is going to fix your marriage. There's no guarantee that he's going to save your business. He's going to make sure all your bills are paid. He's going to make sure you always have enough food. Pestilence and famine and financial difficulty and failed marriages. You see, how do we say that kind of stuff to a Muslim? Come to the Lord and your marriage will be saved. Maybe not. When I was in India in villages, I led a Muslim lady to the Lord and she asked for prayer because she said if she were to tell her husband that she became a Christian, that he would kick her out and she'd have no way to support herself. I could not say to her, just believe in Jesus and, and read this book on seven easy Jesus steps to fix your marriage and everything will be all right. <laughs> this wasn't going to work for her. But what I could tell her is that Jesus just wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. That he'll give you peace and hope and joy. And I, I got to tell you this, serving the Lord and loving the Lord, being faithful and reading your Bible every day is not a ticket to escape suffering. And nobody knows that more than I do right now. Nobody. I, I want to sometimes from the bottom of my heart Say to God, this is not fair. Don't you see how much I love you? Don't you see how faithfully I'm serving you? Don't you see? How, I mean, God, I'm reading my Bible and I'm writing in a journal. You, I'm not a girl. I'm writing. Do you know what a commitment that is for a man to keep a journal? Like Jesus, what do you, you give my wife cancer? What's wrong with you? Being faithful is not a ticket to escape suffering. But I will tell you this, that my church, the place where I meet, has become a safe haven for me. A haven for me in the middle of pestilence and famine and fear and difficulty to cry out to the Lord. To just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you in my life. I need you to make sense of all this. I need you, if you won't answer me, I need you to just let me know that you're here. Just let me know that you're with me. And God has been so faithful to answer those cries. And I gotta tell you that in the, I don't even know how many months this thing has been going on, but in the times where instead of crying out to the Lord, I've tried to just think about it, I, I have driven myself to the point of insanity. There has been no help there. But when I've cried out to the Lord, there's, there's been a peace. When I read now Philippians 4, 8, that says be 4, 7, or 6 and 7, that says be anxious for nothing, it means something to me. Because every day when I wake up, I have something to be anxious about. But everything, by prayer and supplication, and this is the one that gets me sometimes. Does anybody know what the next words are? With thanksgiving. And, and, and there have been days that I'm thinking, okay, look, Lord, I, I've got 8% kidney function. My wife has incurable cancer. What is it that you want me to be thankful about? I don't have enough strength to get out of bed. I don't feel like doing anything. What exactly is it that you want me to be thankful about? 
And that I just have to work through it with the Lord because there's a lot of things. Be thankful that he hasn't left me, that he will never forsake me, that he has saved me, that my real disease has been cured by Jesus. Isaiah says, by his stripes we're healed. And I don't believe that that means every human sickness, but I believe that it means the spiritual disease that was going to kill us all. His stripes healed my death sentence. My incurable spiritual disease. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. And you know that whole thing? I always used to wonder, what does that mean it surpasses understanding? I have such a... a, a, a easy definition for that now in my life. What it means is that there is nothing that I can hold on to with my logical mind that gives me any reason to have peace and yet I have it. There isn't one doctor's appointment we've been to that gives me any peace. There isn't one test result that we've had that gives me any peace, but yet I have peace. That to me, I don't know what it is to you. To me, that's peace that passes understanding. I want this to be a place where people can come in in whatever plague or whatever sickness or whatever pestilence or whatever difficulty they're facing and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to God. And yes, let your requests be made known. I ask him every day to heal my wife. Every single day I ask him. But I thank him for what he's already done. And so far he hasn't healed or not that I know of, but what he has done is he's given us peace. And we want this to be a place where that happens for people. You know, he was talking about Jacob. And I love that story because God wrestled with Jacob and then he was just going to leave. And Jacob wasn't hurt. Like he wrestled God to a draw and was just going to be able to talk about it. God didn't beat me. But yeah, how cool is that? Right? I mean, could you imagine telling me I wrestled with God and he didn't beat me? <laughs> like, Really? Really? God didn't beat you? And God was going to walk away. But Jacob insisted on a blessing. And, and here's the lesson to me in that. Before he blessed him, he touched his hip and he hurt him in such a way that he would bear that hurt for the rest of his life. That brokenness. That wound was so deep and so impactful that he limped for the rest of his life. But in that hurt came his blessing. And I wonder sometimes when we pray, Lord, I just want you to, I want to know you better. Like, do we have any idea what we're asking for? (laughs) Lord, I want you to glorify yourself in my life. Because I know what that means in my brain. But does that mean to God that he's going to touch me in such a way that I'm going to limp for the rest of my life? That I'm going to bear some some wounds that are going to be with me until the day I die? But out of those wounds will come such a blessing. Going through pestilence and problem and famine can bring a depth, a glory that can't come in any other way. And inevitably, there are going to be people in this town, in this county, that are going through all of these things. And we want this to be a place where they can come and cry out to God. Verse 38 says something that I like a lot. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart. Love that phrase. 
We want this to be a place where people can come and realize the condition of their own heart. I think the teaching of the word helps people realize the condition of their heart. I think worship helps people realize the condition of their heart. Let me illustrate to you how this happens. First five chapters of Isaiah. Here's Isaiah. Woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you, and you're going to hell, and I don't like you, and we're better than you, and you stink, and you too. And Isaiah was top dog in Israel. He was a prophet, and he was a priest. Isaiah was the top of the spiritual ladder. But something incredible happened in chapter 6. I'm sure many of you know it. In chapter 6, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And suddenly, it goes from, Woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you, to woe is me. As soon as Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw himself. And whenever you or I or another person is not self-aware, you know, you ever known somebody who just can't see the truth about themselves? And people like that will just drive you insane. Everybody can see a glaring fault in their life but them. I mean, I might be that way. I don't know. (laughs) If I am, it's driving other people crazy because when they're that way, it really bugs me. The prescription for that is not me pointing out to them what's wrong with them. The prescription for them, if they're believers, is for them to be confronted with Jesus. Because when I see Jesus, I'm forced to see the plague of my own heart. You know, when I look at, when I look at other people, I can think, man, you know, I, I know the Bible and I serve the Lord and I work hard and I'm faithful and I do all these things. But when I look at Jesus, I don't ever like see the Lord and just think, man, I'm amazing. I look at Jesus and I just think, yeah, I do all that stuff, but I'm so judgmental and I'm so non-compassionate and I wasn't forgiving to that person who hurt me and it just makes me see the plague of my own heart. I want this to be a place where people can see the plague of their heart and then know what to do about it. Not hide it, not pretend it's not there, not run away from it, but bring it to the Lord. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And the answer is God. And who can clean it? God. Create in me a new heart. God said, it's said about Saul. Let me, let me I probably don't have time to do this, but I want to do it. Um, I told you I had a problem with a, staff, with a staff member and it was super ugly and it got really bad. And, and they said things about me that were malicious and untrue and it was hurtful. And, and it's like a year later and I'm reading my Bible and I feel like God's, t- and I, so many times I prayed, Lord, I forgive them. But the honest truth in my heart one day is I said, God, I hate them. I know I'm not supposed to hate them. I don't want to hate them. I've prayed that I forgive them. And I can tell other people that I don't hate them. But you see my heart. And right now when I look in my heart, I hate them. I don't want them to be Christians. I don't want them to go to heaven. I don't ever want to see them again. Every time I prayed that you would bless them, I don't mean that. Don't bless them. Kill them, you know? And I mean, I just... And I just said, and I just said, but I know, God, that's not right. I know it's not right, and I don't want to be like that, but what am I going to lie to you? I can lie to everybody else, but I can't lie to you. You see inside my heart. And I literally did not know what to do. And I just had prayed so much, I just thought, I, praying about it, it's not helping me. And I opened my Bible, and I happened to, be, happened to be reading through Samuel. And I read the story of Solomon, and he's called by David. And I'm reading it, and when, 
or not David, by Samuel. When Samuel anointed him, do you know that it says in, in um, 1 Samuel, God gave Saul a new heart. And it was as if God was audibly speaking to me and he said, yes, Jeff, I see your heart. And yes, there is hate and there is unforgiveness and it is wrong. But guess what? I can give you a new heart. And man, I stopped. I put my pen down and I knew what to pray. Jesus, give me a new heart. And there have been maybe one or two times since then that I've found those. Because you know what will happen is I'll do great and then I'll see him or I'll hear something they said about me or my wife and it'll just all boil up again. But now I know what to do when I see the plague of my own heart. I just say, Jesus, give me a new heart. I'm so, you know, it's like a cell phone. I already ruined the battery. I need a new one. I was, you know, on the internet too much. I shouldn't have done that. I, I need a new one. And I want this to be a place where people can, A, see the plague of their heart, but B, can cry out to Jesus to give them a new heart. Very last thing. Verses 41 through 43 deal with foreigners. Um, maybe this has a literal application here. I, I don't know, you know. Um, but I think the application here is unbelievers. And Solomon prays that unbelievers would A, be drawn to the place because they would hear about who God is and what he does, and B, that when they come to this place, that they would cry out to you and you would prove yourself to be real to them. And here's a desire I have for Calvary Chapel, Crook County, that this would be a place where A, non-believers are drawn. If the only people that ever come through the doors are people that go to another church, that's not successful. You can't avoid it. You know, I was telling Ryan, I did a baby, baby dedication recently, and it just, it just kind of hit me. I, maybe it's the kidney failure, and I have all these toxins in my blood, but I'm just saying whatever I think now. And Karen's quite scared about it most of the time. <laughs> but I had, I had this baby. His name's Jack. And I said, here's Jack. And I go, guess what? Jack didn't come from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And Jack didn't come from Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. And Jack didn't used to be a Baptist or a Presbyterian. Jack is born and bred Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley. This is the way we want to grow our church. And the people were just like, because, you know, 40, 50% of them came from somewhere else. But if that's the only way we ever get people, that's not successful. Hey, God bless you. That's a good way to get people. It's not the only way. We want non-believers to come here. Willing people who don't know Jesus to come here and be confronted with who he is and to learn that Jesus is real. That he touches people's lives. That he gives peace and hope. That he restores. That he rebuilds the broken parts of our heart. That he can give us things that can't be bought in any store. We want non-believers to come to this place and be confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. Not the niceness of who we are, although that's important. But we can't settle for that. Not the quality of our music, although that's important, but we can't settle for that. Not the conversational style of our pastor, although that's important, but we cannot settle for that. We want non-believers to come here and meet a Jesus who is alive, who is real, and who wants to be involved in their life. Father, we come to you now. We pray, Jesus, in this moment that these things would happen in this place. Lord, that people that are defeated 
would not be afraid, that they wouldn't have to leave, that they wouldn't run or hide their defeat, but that they would bring it to this place and they would cry out to you. That you would restore and rebuild. That you would bless and fill. Jesus, we pray that people that are suffering because of their sin would cry out to you in this place. That we would not point them out, Lord, but that we would point them to you. Jesus, people that are suffering not because of their sin and not because of an enemy, but just because life is difficult, just because there are trials and there are burdens, that they would come here and cry out to you. Jesus, please make this a place where people see the plague of their own heart. May it never be a place where we do church and pretend to love you and to to just go through the motions, Lord, and, and where we do everything right and we look like good Christians, but our hearts are just so full of wickedness. We don't ever want that to be the case. Show us tonight, Lord, the plague of our own heart. Show us you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray, finally, that non-believers would be drawn here. And that when they come, that they would find a beautiful building. That they would find the nicest people Central Oregon ever produced. That they would find great music and a message that they could relate to. Children's ministry that blesses their kids. But Lord, may that never be all they find. Jesus, may they find more than any of that, you. Jesus, Peter said to that blind man, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I do have, I'll give you. And what I do have is Jesus. And Lord, I pray that Calvary Chapel, Crook County, I pray pray that this building would give Jesus to people in a real way. And we pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.